Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Two Peas on a Pod podcast on a lovely Tuesday morning. Hope everybody's doing wonderful today, and my, we are excited for today. I tell you what, we are in a series right now. We are in a holiness series, and I'm so excited for the content today with you probably already read it in the title. We have a special guest with us as we are trying to get some friends of ours to help us tackle these topics of holiness. And so without further ado, thank you again. But we had him back in October on the podcast via Zoom call, and that time was acting very crazy. Took a lot of editing to get that to sound okay. And we had him in October to deal with Halloween, but today we have him live in person. Thank you, Brother Donnie King, for coming today. Thank you for having us. I'm thrilled to be here. So that episode you did back in October, and I'm just going to say this before we get started. Within six days, it jumped to number one on our most listened to list. So without further ado, we have a celebrity on our hand, folks. Yes, sir. An absolute celebrity. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was shocked when I heard, or when I seen, rather, that that went to number one because of the topic. I never dreamed that that many people would come on and want to hear what Halloween was because I, I just thought we was going to get a lot of uh, hate mail over it, I guess you could say. Yes, sir. That's kind of what I was expecting myself. And I actually did get a little bit of hate mail over it <laughs> from some actually surprising, some surprising places, actually. I did get some hate mail, but you know what? That's all right. Anytime yes. you stand for the truth, especially when you're dogmatic about it, you're going to get some flack, even from some folks that you wouldn't think you'd get it from. Yes, sir. I've seen that happen too many times. But we appreciate you coming on the podcast today. We're glad it's live, so it don't have to take so much editing. And it sounds a lot better. Because the topic that we're going to deal with today, I believe, deserved a live recording, which obviously when you hear this, it's not live. But it deserved a good recording with good quality. And we're going to talk today about holiness now, when you hear that word, I know your mind's automatically running. It's already automatically running to appearance. It's automatically running to, to dress and things. And we're dealing with that and are going to deal with that. But today we want to start, and I said we're, again, we're in a series of holiness. So it's going to be, it's going to be quite a while because this is a subject we don't want to shortchange. Mm. We've been waiting. We've been doing this podcast for well over a year, almost a year and a half, and we still have not dealt with everything. It's been taking a while, but here we are. We're going to talk about the origin of holiness, what it is, how it got started, what the meaning of it is, the definition of it is, how it works, and how it pertains to God. You know, a lot of people, when they look at holiness, they start in the New Testament, and they want to go from the teachings of Paul. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not where holiness began. You don't want to start with what Jesus said altogether. He's explaining what we already had knowledge of from the law and from the prophets. So I want to look at a Hebrew word going all the way back to the creation account. And the Hebrew word is found in Genesis 1 and 4, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Now, the word here, divided, is the word I want to look at for just a little while. It means he separated. He separated, he divided. The Hebrew word is viyabdo. 
okay? Separation is a very significant occurrence in the creation process. As this theme evolves throughout Scripture, it becomes even more necessary to live in godly. If you don't understand the part about division, we need to be divided away from things. We need to be separated away from things then you'll never fully comprehend what true biblical holiness really is. It's not a church sign. It's not really a church doctrine as far as in what you do or what you don't do. It's in how you live. So we realize that during the first days of creation, one of God's main actions that he did, we get excited talking about, and God said, but yet the things that he does is he separated he divided. He v'yabdel, if you will. Now, we find the word separate several times. It's a verb. It show an action. And we see it in Genesis 1 and 4, 1 and 6, 1 and 7, 1 and 14, 1 and 18. And it goes on and on and on. On just the first three days of creation, God separates. Listen to some of the things he separates. It's very obvious when you read chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis. He separates the light from the darkness. He separates the waters above the firmament from the waters beneath the firmament. And then he separates the dry ground from the waters. The first fruits and vegetation of the land came only after the work of separation was complete. Now, that ought to speak a volume of information to us. When we read this, we should understand that when you get saved, you become a new creation. And before you can ever start bringing forth true fruit under perfection, you've got to go through the process of separation. You've got to be divided away from some things. We must separate ourselves from the things of the world before we'll ever see the fruits of righteousness which God desires from us. Now, the separation process in Genesis shows us that when God wants something, he wants it distinct from everything else. So he separates it away from everything else. This is God's way of making things holy unto himself. This is why it's imperative that we come out from among the world, separating ourselves from sin and the things of the world. God's desire still yet today is to separate darkness from light. In order for us to do the work of God, we must choose light over darkness, and then we must separate ourselves from anything that ha from everything that has anything to do with darkness. This thought process flows throughout the whole Bible after being introduced early in Genesis, like we've just seen. We see it in the offerings. We see it in the covenants. We see it in the law, the priesthood. You can see it in circumcision, the feast, and the list literally goes on and on and on. There's many things where God shows us separation and dividing ourselves away from. Everything God instituted for Israel, you'll find the process of separation and the dividing asunder of things to make them holy unto the Lord. Yeah, one thing I was reading last night, actually in my daily devotion, was in Exodus 19. And God was about to come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And God told Moses to sanctify the people and let them wash their clothes. Now, this right here is a picture to me as I was, and it was funny that I was reading this last night um, there in Exodus 19 because I knew what we was going to be recording on this morning. <laughs> Almost felt like God was giving me just a little nugget. Yes, sir. And, uh, but that they, was get, they had to get ready physically. And they had to get ready spiritually because they had to separate themselves from sin. Because the act of washing and preparing 
was getting their minds and their hearts ready because God was about to come down and be in front of them. And if we're going to meet God in our worship, we have to be separated. That's what we're talking about today, separation. I want to take just a few of the less obvious scriptures and look at them today. A lot of people tend to overlook these things, but I want to use some of the overlooked verses in this study. And I could use the same verses everyone else uses, but you already know them. And we'd be in familiar territory, but I want to show you several other places where this doctrine is found. Taking what you were saying about Exodus 19, the storyline keeps evolving as you read through Exodus. And by the time you get to chapter 30, you see a little vague verse there and 30 and 35 of Exodus, and it just seems like it's just got a little comment of something in it, and God's instructing Moses on how to make the oil of incense. Uh And we see a phrase, Brother Austin, thou shalt make it tempered together, pure and holy. Now, I know some of you that are listening in probably thinking, well, what's that got to do with separation? God told them what specific ingredients to use, how much to use, and then he commanded that these ingredients be tempered together. Now, that really doesn't sound like division or separation speech, does it? The Hebrew word for tempered, though, is malak. Malak means to tear away from. It means to dissipate, to disperse, or to separate. God wanted all of these ingredients compiled together, but even though they were going to be compiled together, they were still being separated from all of the other spices and the other offerings. If you had a hundred spices and you chose seven or eight and you put them together, those may be together, but yet they're still separated from the other 92 or 93 spices. So these ingredients were set apart for a particular service unto the Lord. Now that we've established the fact that these ingredients were separated, now we can go on to the main point. They were to be pure and holy. Now, anybody that's ever studied sanctification knows that both of these terms go along with this doctrine, and most people use these terms interchangeably. Now, here's where a lot of people fall into error. Being pure is not the exact same thing as being holy, okay? They're definitely similar, and and they are very much connected. But if they were the exact same thing, why would God use a redundant term in this command? It'd be the same as God saying, now you're to be pure and pure or you're to be holy and holy unto me. Well, do you see my point? You don't, right. you're not just one, you got to be both. If purity and holiness are identical things, why not just use one term instead of both of them? But the words pure and holy go together. They're separate and distinct from one another, but they're connected. Purity is the essence that enables someone or something to become holy. Pure is the Hebrew word tehor, which means to be made clean in a ceremonial sense. Holy is the Hebrew word kodesh, and it means to be set apart, sacred, holy, to be a hallowed thing. Now, do you know why the pure in heart are those who will see God? Because their purity obtains them the power to be declared holy, and thus they will enter a holy heaven and worship a holy God throughout all of eternity. It's because a thing is made clean or pure, if you will, that qualifies it to be separated or made holy for the service of God. I find it interesting to note that you was mentioning Exodus chapter 30, because I've got it here in my notes, another spot of Exodus chapter 30. And before getting to anything else, going back to the tabernacle, was the priests had to stop at the brazen altar. Now, we know that this was a where the penalty of sin 
was temporarily paid for. But as you passed, as you successfully went past the brazen altar, you still couldn't come to the holy place until you had to stop at the laver. And that's what was spoken of in Exodus chapter 30. It's just a few verses there. And God said, you need to stop at the laver, which was just a big old large pot of water. And you, But he said you had to wash so that you would not die. That's right. Now, God was very serious about cleansing from the defilement that was at the brazen altar. And so this large pot of water speaks to us as the brazen altar speaks of our justification. The laver speaks of our sanctification, our separation Amen. from the world. And you can't get no closer to God in your Christian walk without first separating yourself from the world. How many folks have you have you worked with and family members or anybody in your life that claims to be saved and they're just, well, the Lord this and the Lord that, and there's no separation there. There's absolutely no separation from the world. You can't get to the presence of God Almighty in a daily walk and have an experience with Him until you're separated from the world. Yes, sir. And an interesting system is introduced in Leviticus chapter 20 to tie in with what you just said. Uh, I want to go down and grab verse 26. He says, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. Now, most people take that first part, I, the Lord, am holy, and they teach holiness and sanctification from there. But if we don't understand that second half of what he said, we're going to miss a lot of things. He said, I am holy, and I have severed you from other people, that you should be mine. There's so much to digest here. It, it would take a long time. I want to condense it down. The first thing anyone would get out of this verse is that we're to be holy because God is holy. We're not just to be holy. We're to be holy unto the Lord. Okay, there's no other way to truly be holy, but some people think that they can make themselves holy. If we were to try to be holy unto anyone else or to anything else, it would really be unrighteousness or at best self-righteousness. But when you're holy unto God, you are declared righteous, as you just said, through justification. If you're ever declared holy, you will be holy unto the Lord, for God is holy. We need to understand that this verse is using sacrificial speech. It's worded as an offering that is to be given totally unto the Lord. The whole reason we are to be holy is because the Lord himself is holy. The command to be holy carries with it this sense of separation that we're studying today. It's more than implied in the verse because God says, I, the Lord. And what did he do? He said, I've severed you from other people. Now, I want to take you through a thought process right here, and I want you to think about something right here. I want to take what you think you see in this verse and expose our biased reading in the text so you can see the process of God more clearly. Nearly everyone approaches this verse in a linear fashion, meaning that we understand it word by word. So what we seek first is what we think first, okay? Words you see first in the sentence must come first in process. Well, go back and let's reread this verse, and I want you to listen to my next statement. All right. The verse says, and ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have severed you from other people that ye should be mine. Okay, so when we approach this verse and we look at it in linear fashion, we see what we just read. But the separation or severing comes before the thing or the person was made holy. Holy. 
When you reread the verse, you understand that God has already severed Israel from all of the other peoples of the earth. He is now commanding them to be holy unto him. He separated Israel first, and then he commanded them to be holy. This separation happens before we can have holiness of life. As a matter of fact, this is how we become holy. Most people get it backwards, make the assumption that we're separated from others because of our holy lives. This is what gives birth to the Pharisee spirit that teaches the holier you live, the more separated from everyone else you will be. The error is that our job is not so much to be holy, so our separation is that obvious. It's that our separation from everything becomes our holiness unto God. It's because you're separated that you're declared holy. It's not that you're declared holy and now you got to be more separated. You would never be declared holy until you are first separated. Our separation happened at salvation when we were called out from our life of sin. Separation in itself is not holiness, though, because you can live separated and that doesn't declare you holy. Separation is the pathway to get you to holiness. Now, hear me and hear me well. There can be no holiness without separation, but not all separation leads to a holy life. And I'm going to give you an example. Think about monks who live in a monastery. They've separated themselves away from everyone else and right. everything else. They have the separation part down, but do you think the monks live a holy life? Monks might have separation down pat, but guess what? So do hermits. They separate themselves from everyone else. Who would be so foolish as to declare all hermits holy people? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Hermits are a separated group of people, aren't they? Then shouldn't they be holiness? No, this is one example that kills the idea that all separation is holiness. One will veer too far to the right when you see separation as holiness. It's what leads us to holiness. You'll veer too far to the left when people see holiness possible without any separation. You've got to have the two together. Even though holiness carries the idea of separation in it, holiness is much higher than just separation alone. One of the scriptures that now you talked about wanting to go into scriptures that are not as, uh, how do you say it, not as obvious as others. Yes. Well, I'm going to go to one of those obvious ones because, you know, I'm not as smart as you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of those obvious scriptures that we use all the time is First Peter 1, 15 and 16, but says, as he which hath called you is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And I've loved this scripture, verse 16, because it is written to be holy, for I am holy. Yes. That word holy there in the Greek means hagios, to be pure, morally blameless, consecrated, to be clean, to be holy is God's standard of how we are supposed to live. For he which hath called us to be holy. And so if we, as the children of God, are going to be representatives of God, then we've got to be holy, which starts at separating ourselves from the world. There has to be a dividing, yes. as you already said. Holiness living is not a suggestion. No. I can't help what the church down the road teaches. I can't help what the church down the road believes, what the pastor down the road 
preaches and whatnot. I'm reading from the King James Version Bible. Yes. He might be reading from a different version, <laughs> but it says <laughs> King James Version Bible. The Word of God, the inspired Word of God tells us we've got to be holy. That's what God wants us to be. Amen. And if God's holy, right? Uh, Heaven's holy. Yes. God's Word's holy. As one preacher said, the Bible says, holy Bible. God's <laughs> yes. name is holy. The angels are holy. Uh-huh. God's son is holy. The Holy Ghost in his name yes. is holy. <laughs> then, And if God's coming back for a holy church, then we are going to have to be holy. Amen. That's the only option. We're going to have to be separated from the world and to God. Yes. You know, the flesh can achieve separation in itself, like I just mentioned about hermits and monks, but the flesh can never achieve holiness in itself. The flesh can separate itself from others, but the flesh can never make itself holy. A carnal, fleshly person can choose to do things that are considered holy. They can choose to not do things that are considered sin. Let me give you another example. A sinner woman can choose to put on long sleeves, wear a long skirt, grow her hair long. A sinner woman can also go without makeup and not even wear jewelry. But does that separation declare her holy in the sight of God? Absolutely not, because the whole point of the matter, I'm speaking of a sinner woman. Now, they can, they can go through and do all of these things, and although it appears that she has the separation, that alone does not make her holy. So you can cover up a multitude of sins by appearing holy, but you'll never be truly holy until you have been separated in your heart unto God. How many people in the church through the years that we've seen that have the long skirt and the long hair and yes. they've got the outward standard? And so from all appearances, we'd be like, yeah, they're holiness. They're holy. Of course. But they're very far from it because there's Amen. no separation and holiness is more than a standard. We're going to get to that. But yes. what we've stated on this podcast is that if you're not going to be holiness in your heart, your separation to God, and your speech, and everything else, holiness, is you have to have it all. I, I think I said it to you. It's kind of like the fire triangle. Yes. If you don't have oxygen, you can't have a fire. You can have fuel and heat, but you need oxygen. Amen. You can have heat and no oxygen, no fuel. It takes all three parts to have a good fire. Very true. And so you've got to have all the makings of holiness to be holiness. You can't just have long sleeves and act like no. the devil. That's right. You can't just have long hair and not be separate from the world. Yes. Although it appears that the woman that I described to you has separation, that alone doesn't make her holy. But I want to show you how superficial we are as as Christians and believers. If that same woman I described were to come to your church or those who are listening come to your church, most of the congregation would assume her to be holy or a holiness woman. Right. That's why it's so easy to play the hypocrite at holiness churches. Most people see separation as holiness. But we're needing God to separate us unto himself so we can have his holiness. And when you have God's holiness, you're set apart to the Lord. We are set apart for the Lord. That means that we've got to surrender to him and to his will. That means that we may do things that God has declared holy that will never be seen by others, but it leads to our separation, which showcases our holiness of conduct, our holiness of heart. We're to dedicate and consecrate our whole lives unto God. This is how we become holy. 
without separation, that wouldn't be possible. But by separation alone, one will never reach true holiness. Separation is merely the beginning, the starting point of holiness in our lives. Remember where we first saw this word was in the beginning of creation. We see that God began separating. He began dividing things. And it's a picture of what our walk with God would be. When you get saved, he begins dividing you away from those friends you don't need, those attitudes and those thoughts and those ways of living that you've always been doing. He separates you from that. Separation is the beginning. It's the birthplace of holiness in your life. We're severed and separated from all of these other things. And then we're commanded to be holy. Now, this may throw you for a loop. But holiness is not what I am, it's not really what I do, and it's not really what I give. Holiness is what God is. So for me to truly be holiness is for me to be partaking of who God is. I can only become holy as I become more like Jesus. Where I sure want to try my best to be more like Jesus, whatever it takes. And Paul wrote to us in Romans 12 and 2 and said, and be not conformed. Now, that word means to fashion alike. Don't fashion yourself alike to this world. He said, don't be conformed, but be ye transformed. Yes. A change in behavior. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are not to conform to the world. We are not to agree to the world's ideologies, to their opinions, to their lifestyles. If the world controls your thinking and your lifestyle, then you are a conformer. But if God, on the opposite side of that, if God controls your thinking and your lifestyle, then you are a transformer. Yes. I don't want to be a conformer to the world. (laughs) 1 John 2 and 15 and 16 says, love not the world. That's pretty plain. Yes. You see a lot rabbit trail, okay? Sometimes as a, as a preacher we get a lot of flack that we're too bold and we're not preaching out of love. There are you reading the same Bible that I read? Because my Bible is nothing but love. Amen. But preaches to the point. Preaches bold without tickling ears, without worrying about hurting somebody's feeling. The Bible is the truth and that's yes. what we're preaching. Love not the world. That's right. Cut and dry. (laughs) Neither the things that are in the world. Wow. How many people would say that's a slap in the face? If any man love the world, it's it's getting worse. Yes, it is. The love of the Father is not in him. Love not the world. Yes, sir. But if you do love the world, then the love of the Father is not not in you. That's right. I didn't say that. (laughs) That was out straight out of the King James Version. Yes. Spirit inspired. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. We see very clearly what we're talking about today, separation and holiness. What we see very clearly in these two verses is God wants us to have distance and a separation from the world. I was reading a little story um, the other day about a stagecoach company, you know, obviously years ago. And they were interviewing some new drivers for the job of driving the next stagecoach. And this was the question for the interview, Brother Donnie. How close to the edge of a cliff could you drive that stagecoach going around the mountain successfully? (laughs) So the first guy, he goes and he says, oh, he said, I think I could get within three feet of the edge. 
and be just fine and make it successfully around the mountain. Wow. And he said, okay, well, we'll think about, we'll think about hiring you. The next guy said, I think I could get 18 inches. I think I could get a foot and a half from the edge and successfully get that stagecoach around the mountain. He said, okay, we'll think about hiring you. The third guy come in, and he said, I'll stay as far away from the edge of the cliff as I can. I ain't even going to try to get close to it. I ain't trying to see how close I can get to it. He said, you got the job. <laughs> Instantly, you got the job. How? Why is it that so many... Amen. In the world today, I'm going to amen myself. I ain't got no no crowd here except for you, Brother Donnie, I guess. Amen. <laughs> there we go. How many How many in the world today are walking on the edge? Yes. I've always likened it to an icy cliff. You're going around an icy cliff. You're, you're not going to just walk on the edge because you trip or fall or slip. You're going to fall and die. You're gone. How many people are walking on the edge not being one to be separated from the world? Just like in 1 Kings 18, they wanted the... Great things of Baal. They wanted the blessing, so-called, of Baal. Yes. But they wanted the old things of God. But they wanted the new things of Baal. They was on the spiritual fence, if you will. They was living on the edge, living on the cliff. And all it takes is one fall, one trip. One. How many times have you seen somebody in one storm and yes, they backslide? Yes. One tragedy and they backslide. Yes, sir. One bad week. Oh, I just can't handle it. And they backslide. You're right. I know I, I may I seem like I'm being rough. I'm not meaning to. But I'm telling you, the Bible, the Bible. Yes. We have got to separate ourselves in this day and hour. Well, I think it stems back to a problem that Israel had at the time of Samuel. They come to him and they said, we want to have us a king like everybody else. They wanted to be like everybody else. Right. Everybody else is living on the edge. Everybody else is living in the moment. We're living for eternity. We're not just living in the moment. We're not just living on the edge. We're living for God. And a lot of people get to thinking, well, if I could be like them, if I could be like those, our goal, our that calling that we've been given is to be like Christ. Let me give you an example that it may agitate some of you by me saying this, but I'm going to let you fill in the blank. You can become more like brother and you fill in the blank, brother so-and-so. But even if you're just like him, that doesn't guarantee that you'll be holy. What if by chance brother so-and-so is a hypocrite? What if he only appears to be holy just specifically because of his separation? It's only when God takes possession of us that we can be declared holy unto the Lord. Everything God is is holy. Everything God possesses is holy. Everywhere God dwells is holy. If God dwells in me, I am to be holy for he is holy. If God has full possession of my life, I can then declare that I am holy only because God is in me and God is holy. It's the presence and glory of God in our lives that brings us into holiness. Separation is the setting apart. That's the taking of possession of our lives that God takes us and cleanses us and begins to use us for his service. We're empty. We're an empty vessel at separation. But once he cleanses our vessel, he then fills the vessel with himself, with his spirit, which is holiness in its purest form. It could be stated this way. Separation is God's method of acquiring the vessel. Holiness is God's method of filling the vessel. God is very different from everybody else and everyone else. He's different from all others. If God, who is so different, 
decided to have a people, which he did, doesn't it just follow in reasoning that the people that God has would have to be very different from all others as well? One scripture that comes to mind when you're talking about being different from others. Psalm 1 and 1, the first verse of the book of Psalms. Blessed is the man. That's a great way to start out a verse. <laughs> yes. The blessing. This man's going to be blessed. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, the book of Psalms starts with a blessing, but the blessing is tied to conditions. A lot of times you'll read that in Scripture, the blessing, the promise, it'll be tied to conditions. Yes. First, walking not in the counsel of the ungodly. We are not to participate in the plans of the ungodly. We are not supposed to allow their plans and their ideologies to allow to influence us. Walking not in the counsel. Yes. Then it says, standeth in the way of sinners. This indicates a close association to sinful behavior. The way means the manner of sinners' lifestyles. Yes. Standing in the way, being close to their sin and walking with their sin. Prime example, look at Lot. Mingling himself with Sodom and he lost his family. Yes. Don't move your family to Sodom. No. That's where common sense plays in right there. Don't even pitch your tent towards yeah, it. Yeah, don't pitch your tent. Why are you even looking at Sodom? Are you going to go buy a house and raise your kids next door to a club? Of course not. No. Are you going to live on a street that's full of witches and warlocks in the middle of New York City? No. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Now, we talked about walking. Here in the first verse, walking, standing, lastly, sitting, sitting in the seat of the scornful. Sitting indicates that they're being rooted in the sinful lifestyle. Somebody that identifies, that's one word everybody loves to use in this hour. They identify with sin. They're comfortable with the world in their life. Sitting in the seat of the scornful. This means those who mock holy things. Don't sit right there in the seat right next to them trying to sway others with them. You're, you're not in a courtroom trying to, trying to plead your case and sway people on your side. Don't sit right there in the middle of sin. But God said there's a blessing to the man that is separated from the world. I feel my hat coming on. <laughs> Amen. There's a blessing to the man that is separated from the world. Yes. To live a holiness life pleasing to God. Yes, sir. Well, that just tells me that God's people, by nature, must be a peculiar people because we're different from everyone else. For this people that God has to resemble him, they must be like him. For this people that he has to represent him, they must be different as God is different. This people can't be just the common, ordinary, or average people. They must be set apart. They must be different. And they're extraordinary. If the best one-word definition of God that we have in the Bible is holy, then God's people should be defined as holy also. Now, that tells us if you're not living holy, you're not one of God's children. You cannot live holy without the separated lifestyle. Separation alone does not mean holiness, but if you are not separated, you cannot be holiness either. For them to have holy lives, God's people to have holy lives, 
they must be sanctified. Who is likened to the Lord our God, the Bible says? He is God, and there's none like him. He's God, and there's none other that even compares with him. What? Who would you say is God's equal? God has no equal. If we're God's children, we will be like him. If we're not like him, then we are not his children. I couldn't stress that point anymore. If we're not separate from the world, then we're not his. If we are common, average, and ordinary, we show no proof that we are his. If God is utterly different from all else, how can his children be like all the others? We cannot. We can bring forth fruit in our life only if we allow God to do the work of separation first, just like he did at the beginning. If God would have never separated the waters from the waters that were above and beneath, if he had never separated the dry land from the waters, there could never have been any crops or vegetation. That means there could never have been any fruit produced until God separated. In your life, You'll never bring any fruit forth unto God until he starts that separation process and you separate away from the world and you separate unto God. This can only happen when one begins to be separated from the darkness in the world and separated unto the light of God, which always leads us to his holiness. I have enjoyed this topic of separation. And last night I was trying to put together some notes for this episode today. And one of the best examples for separation that my mind could go to was Daniel. Now, I don't know how many times I've heard on Daniel. Maybe uh, maybe it's the first part of what we're getting ready to talk about here. I've, I've heard talk about separation, but there's so much in the first six chapters or so of Daniel that talks to us about separating yourself to God. And, you know, we start out reading here at the beginning about Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, overtook Jerusalem and took for himself talented, wise children, which I looked that word children up last night, means more of teenage years, the cream of the crop into his kingdom, one of which was Daniel. So for three years, they were going to be challenged and groomed for the king's likings and then released into his kingdom. And so they changed their names, which gives them power to the, the one who changed their name, trying to invoke authority upon them. So I changed your name, now you're my subject kind of deal. And then they changed their diets, which was a huge problem for God's children because Leviticus gave them a list of foods that is unclean. And this would have, all, this would have tempted these men to compromise what God's already told them in their word. And I was reading last night about how a lot of that food was probably sacrificed to pagan gods. And it would have went against what God told them to do. And so they changed Daniel's name. They changed all the names and what we know them as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That wasn't their original names. Their names were given. They all linked. Their names were all linked to God. Yes. So that was one reason why they had to change their names. They didn't want God to be glorified at all. And so they changed Daniel's name, but they could never change his heart. They could never change his faith. So one of the most popular verses that we think of when we think of separation is Daniel 1 and 8, that Daniel purposed, he determined in his heart, he was committed to God, that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, 
He requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he may not defile himself. You could change Daniel's name, but you couldn't change his character. Amen. Everything Daniel needed to compromise was right there in front of him. Yes, sir. All the ingredients he needed to compromise was sitting right there in front of him. Could, could this be why some of our churches of today that have always been known as holiness and Pentecostal are taking the name holiness and Pentecostal off of their churches, given a new name? Is that showing a sign of changing of authority, maybe? Well, I'll tell you what, I wasn't expecting that statement right there. That kind of caught me off guard. <laughs> but I will tell you, I have seen that personally. Why? Let's see. Um, we got white chairs sitting in front of us. Let's be safe. I don't think nobody goes to white chair holiness church. If you do, email me. <laughs> but why would you go to white chair holiness church? And then for whatever reason, just get you a new church sign and let the whole community know no longer are we going to be white church holiness church. We're going to be white church, white chair holiness church. We're going to be known as white chair church. Why would you want to be known as white chair church? Why? That don't make no sense. You're, you're willingly telling everybody that drives by, hey, we've been here for how many decades? And yes. now, well, well, did you hear about them? They're not holiness no more. Yeah. They changed their identity. Yeah. Man, wow. I wasn't expecting that. But that is so true. That is so true. Anyways, um, you know, Dan, they was far from home. They was being pushed that way for the king. Yes. But he had what we say the goods in his heart. He was separated. And so Daniel's. you move on through the next couple chapters, Daniel talked with the officer of the court with a proposal test of 10 days with just a diet of pulse and water for them to eat. And then he said, we'll take pulse and water and all the rest of them on the king's diet. And then after 10 days, we'll see who looks better. We'll see who's stronger. We'll see who's fatter. Now, a pulse was just like vegetables, seeds, and grain, and then some water. So it was obviously not the king's diet. I mean, they was Brazilian steakhouse in it right there. And so you got the test for purity. <laughs> That's tricky, honey. <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, the test for purity and separation was on the line. But godliness will always, oh, come on, somebody. It'll always show itself true. Yeah, Daniel 1 and 15 says, and at the end of 10 days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter. Yes. Fatter. Hallelujah. That's, that's true. a verse to advocate being fat. <laughs> yeah, that's true holiness right there, brother. <laughs> fatter in flesh than all the children which ate the portion of the king's meat. God blessed their stand for separation, and he will bless your stand for separation. Come on, somebody. Yes, he will. He will bless your stand for separation. And even at the end, at the end of those three years, when they was released, the king found that these four children, this is what the Bible says, they were ten times better than all of his own magicians and astrologers. Praise God. He said, you all are ten times better than all of my men. God blessed separation. Yes, he did. God put his stamp of approval on four people that said, I'm going to be separate. And then we find in Daniel chapter 3, who we find? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who yes. were saved out of the fiery furnace by God as God blessed them in front of everybody and the king 
for, again, being separate. Not what we say in Paulson and Romans, they did not conform to the rest of the world when everybody else is bound to the image. Nope, we're going to change the behavior. We're not conforming, we are transforming. Amen. Daniel chapter 6, another account. Another account that God saved Daniel in the lion's den after Daniel was found praying to God, living a life of separation even against the law of the world at that time. Yes, sir. I want to ask you a question. Could you live separated to God even if it meant jail time? Wow. Could you live separated to God if it meant death? Mm. What does your love for God mean to you? Amen. What does it mean to be separated from the world and separated to God? Good question. If I have one last thing to say to the people today, for my part, it shows how much we love him on how much we're willing to separate. Wow. How much do you love him today? You know, God was seen right there out of the lion's den right in front of king darius yes as the living god the bible says god showed to them that i'll stand for who stands for me he prospered under the reign of darius and daniel wasn't worried about everyone else he wasn't worried about their thoughts no he wasn't even worried about the consequences he just followed and was faithful to God. He was only concerned with being separate from the world, being separate to God. One of the most used scriptures in the New Testament that we refer to when we talk about separation and one that we pull from when we preach on sanctification is that of 2 Corinthians 6, 17, and 18. And I feel that it'll be usually, it's one of the first ones we go to. Today, it's going to be the last one. Wherefore, come out. Yes. That's enough to preach. Come out. (laughs) Out. How do you stay in if you're coming out? Amen. Come out from among them and be ye separate. What's the word you've been saying over and over and over, Brother Donnie? That word separation. Separation. That word separate in the Greek. Uh That word you said, I don't know how many times, divide. Yes. To sever. It means to divide or to sever. Saith the Lord, woo, saith the Lord, <laughs> not saith Austin Griffiths or Donnie King, no. saith the Lord, Amen. and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Brother Donnie, I want God to receive me. Yes. I want to be pleasing to the Lord. And he said, and will be a father unto you. I'll be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You know what this means? This means you can't do the old sinful things. No. This means the old song that says, I came to the altar and I took off the old coat and I put on the new. This means you can't take off the old coat and put back on the same coat. No. This means when you get saved and you get separated from the world, you can't produce spiritual fruit for God until you're separated. You're exactly right. Well, brother, you was talking about how that people come out, come out from among the world. Well, God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. The whole purpose was come out from there, get out of there. And so years went on. They progressed so much. It looked like Israel did so good. 
until the time that Jesus came and then they did away with their Messiah. And Stephen was preaching later on in Acts 7, one of the greatest messages ever preached in New Testament history. He gets to telling them that your hearts have turned back again into Egypt. You're living divided away. You're separated from Egypt in body, but your heart is still there. God's looking for a group of people whose hearts came out of Egypt even before their bodies did. God wants us separated unto him. Well, I hope somebody's enjoyed our content today, and I hope we've encouraged you to be separate. If you are separate, keep being separate. If you're living holiness, keep living holiness. Keep being pleasing to God. But if you feel today after listening to this episode that you're not as separate as what you need to be, you're not as holiness as what you need to be, Hopefully we've said something to stir your heart so you'll get closer to the Lord. Be pleasing unto God. The Bible teaches us from cover to cover about separation from the world to God. Thank you for listening to this episode. We've got more to come on this series of holiness. We will see you next Tuesday. Peace out, everybody. Race of life I've run The Lord says to me, my child, well done There will be no regrets for me I'll be